Brack, and this is The Record Podcast. We are doing our first podcast today, and we have an excellent guest. His name is Mike Kaminsky, and he is an entrepreneur extraordinaire. We're going to have him talk about all the little facets he's in in the music industry, because I guarantee there's no way I could list them all. But here he is, Mike, if you could introduce yourself. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> uh, this is uh, Mike Kaminsky. And I am primarily an artist manager, uh, which means um, that if you're in a band or you're a musician, uh, you would typically hire someone like myself to kind of help guide you through the process and through the career. And um, I think a lot of people mistake the fact that managers work for record labels. Um, We actually work directly for the artist, so it's kind of our job to help. Um, bring on the right record label and then you know we also do everything from overseeing publicity to contracting to licensing to merchandising to touring Um, pretty much anything that goes through that band uh, comes through us first well that was excellent well done sir um so back in the good old dr manhattan days we we met a couple different managers and we kind of experience a little bit of the industry world, but I have to say, of all the people we met, you were definitely one of our top favorites. You always came Uh, off you always came off the most genuine and uh not sleazy, hey, you know, this is what I think I should do for you. You were always the manager that seemed like, hey, you know, what's your idea? Let me try to facilitate that. And that seemed like uh the most important thing a manager should be there for as opposed to all right, you kids have done your job. Let me take the reins. Do you think uh, you think that's what makes you or helps you stand out in that world? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've been doing this now for maybe it's over 10 years. Um, and you kind of get to meet a lot of managers and you try and grow and learn from them too. And there's a few things I think I've come to recognize for what can really make um, – you know, a good manager and, and sort of separate them from from others. Um, the first is I think a lot of people maybe start in management and it's it, it's kind of the end goal. It's like you become or you should become a manager after you understand sales, after you understand marketing, after you understand radio. Um, you know, I started a uh, very failed record label where I was forced to do marketing myself and to do sales myself. Um, and to do support. Called? I was called American Jealousy. And I American signed a, just a few local bands in college, like working out of my mom's basement pretty much. Um, and even though I ended up losing my money, um, it was actually like the best education about the music um, industry that I could ever get. Because by doing it firsthand, you really see from that perspective like what it actually takes to go get a record put in stores and to actually talk to retail and to have to have as much ammunition as possible and how they're thinking when they, um, you know, take their records in. And it's not just about like, um, you know, the hype and the hard sell and trying to jam as many records up front as you can. And like, you don't know that until you actually do it. So, um, you know, having been through almost every position there is in the music industry. Um, that's ultimately when I became a manager. And I think that really gave me the confidence to kind of overcome what I think is one of the biggest, um, 
like downfalls, I think a lot of, of potentially really good managers could have. And that is for whatever reason, I feel like managers have this tendency or they feel this need to always say yes to their artists that they're, they sort of become yes men. They sort of, um, you know, just take everything the artist says and says, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Things are great. Things are going good. Um, and that's not always the case. It's like you, you have to have the confidence to, first of all, believe in your artists because at the end of the day, I think their gut feeling and what they want to do is ultimately going to be what's best. But sometimes you have to say, you know what, look, things aren't going great or um, this isn't working. Like maybe we should rethink this strategy or go back to the drawing board on, on this. And for whatever reason, a lot of managers won't say that to their artists. Um, you know, they're afraid either for their own job security or they don't want to bum anyone out. And I think that's, that's one of the toughest parts to do um, yeah. is to really be able to recognize when things aren't working. Um, the flip side of that is, is I also feel like a really big part of it is when things don't go well, um, there's always, you know, the team wants to jump to conclusions and say, well, it's this person's fault or the label's not working hard enough to market us or the agent's not working hard enough to get us tours or so-and-so is not working hard enough. Um, and that's not true because, not that it's not true, but at the end of the day, the responsibility lies with the team. And like, as a manager, that ultimate responsibility lies on me. So if the agent's not quote unquote working hard enough, then it means it's my job to step in and either go find a tour myself or find a new agent or give the agent the right tools to go out to work more effectively and more efficiently. Um, and, and I think that comes back to like what one of the other really important traits in management is, and that's to be proactive and not reactive. And I, and, um, I see this all the time and I used to be like this too when I was first starting out. Um, you kind of wait for, you put the music out there and you kind of wait for stuff to come or like, you know, you, you give your demo CD to a promoter and you wait for them to call you. Um, and that's reactive and that's not going to get the job done. Um, you really have to be proactive and say, look, um, these guys aren't calling me back. So what am I going to do? Well, I'll put on my own show or I'll become my own promoter or, you know, I'll try harder to make relationships with other bands who are playing the club I want to play this month. Uh, so that they'll go ahead and add my artist. Like at, at the end of the day, there's no one's responsibility um, except for the manager. And if things aren't working, they kind of got to take a step back and look at the big picture and then jump back into things and figure out how to fix that. So that's, I mean, that comes with experience and that comes with a lot of planning and, and um, hopefully a lot of foresight. And it's really tough. Every day is an absolute grind and a hustle and, you know, even 10 years later, there's there's days where I wake up and I feel like all I'm doing is trying to talk other people into giving my artist a shot. Um, and if they don't, you know, you got to go out and figure out how to just give them a shot yourself. Well, I, I think you made a lot of really good points in there and I didn't want to stop you while you're on the train. So uh, I'll have to jump back a little bit. But I think sure. I think something you said that uh, I never really even consider is the whole proactive, reactive situation. And for me, I would think as a manager doing the the hard work, going up to someone, you know, your band or your musician comes up to you and says, you know, this agent isn't really working or this promoter is really giving us the runaround. Can you step in and, you know, talk for us? And 
I feel like being on the other end, being the musician and saying that it's easy, but now your role is, okay, I have to, I have to step up and I have to make this happen. So what, uh, knowing you, (laughs) I would think that you being one of the nicer guys, that would be tough to go into an office and say, Hey, you know, this, this needs to happen to be, to go in there and sound off. What do you, uh, what do you think? What do you think helps you do that? Coming off as the nice guy, but also having to get, you know, get stuff done. Well, I believe in, um, I mean, first of all, thank you. Like, I think I deal with a lot of managers, even more recently, who act how they feel like a manager is supposed to act. And a lot of that time is it's a lot of swagger or it's a lot of yelling at people or it's a lot of like exercising muscle, especially when things start to go well. When things are tough and you're not in a position um, to be pulling any favors, it's tough. You're at the mercy of everyone else. But I've seen so many times people fall into the trap of, Hey, a song starts to get spun on the radio or tickets start to sell. And then everyone jumps in with like, you know, some kind of attitude of like, Oh, well now everyone kind of owes me a favor. And that's not true because absolutely positively no artist ever breaks on their own. And for my more successful artists, easily, Easily, there's a team of probably over a hundred people who are working um, on that artist at any given time, from the label to the crew to my staff to the marketing team to the street team kids sometimes to like the radio staff and the locals on every market. Um, it it takes a ton of people, a lot of support from press, a lot of support from media, and I've seen, I've personally seen, you know, other bands who will go out and have this huge breakthrough album and it will do so well and they get a little bit of that swagger and the next album comes out and everyone's like oh man i don't really like working with that band um and the next album flops because no one wants to give them that chance again when there's when there's plenty i mean there's there's um a huge amount of artists now that anyone can get behind so i think it's true to always try and and keep you don't necessarily have to be nice but i think you have to be respectful at all times no matter what um with that said at least for me, I try and give everyone the chance and the opportunity that if I bring you onto the team, uh, whether you're a promoter or a publicist or a magazine or someone on my crew or, you know, you're the label I bring in or the agency I bring in. Um, and I do look at it as bringing in, like, it's my job to build the team, right? So, like, I choose the right lawyer or I choose the right publicist and the quote unquote biggest publicist is not the best for any particular artist. Um, you kind of got to really learn about your artists and see who's going to do the best job. And and often it's not the quote unquote biggest company. So I do have to kind of go look and find and bring in the right team. And if you're on my team um, and you're on the band's team and we're on, on their team, then I'm going to trust you, right? Like there's a reason I brought you in. I'm not going to micromanage you. I'm not going to start yelling um, if things don't go in right, aren't going right. And I sort of look at it too. It's like if things aren't going right, then it's really on my job. Like the, the person on my team, I believe to be smart. I believe they're capable. I believe they can do their job. If it's not working, then I'm probably not giving them the right tools. I'm probably not building enough hype. I'm not giving them enough ammunition to go out and do their job. And sometimes you get that where, you know, you know you have a great band and you have your publicist and you know they're a good publicist and they're just not coming back with the right thing. Um, and you know what, sometimes you just got to get your hands dirty and you pull in a few favors yourself, or you got to find an outside strategy of maybe do some guerrilla marketing to go build up some hype for them. Um, 
you know, it, it's a case by case kind of, kind of thing. Uh, the only times I myself get really, really, really upset is when someone straight up will just lie about a situation. And you get that mm, not as much as I guess you used to have when there was just a ton of money flowing and it was real easy to tell a little lie and cash in on it. But you do get a lot of people who will misrepresent what they're doing and misrepresent you. And there's, I mean, there's no, there's no forgiveness in that fact. Well, that's, that's a good point too, is that I noticed, uh, I mean, maybe in today it's a little bit different. I mean, I haven't, I haven't been in it in a little while, but I mean, when we were touring and we were, you know, sending sound scans and doing, you know, trying to meet the people that came to see us specifically, it seems like there's so much in there that people just can exaggerate and say any numbers they want and beef up, you know, attendance or sound scans or record sales or any of that. And it just, at some point I would always wonder like, what are the real numbers? How do you really know this is working if you know, you're not on TV or if you're not on the charts, like what's the true way to know things are going well. And I know a lot of that is intuition, but as a manager, what kind of goes off in your head? Like, okay, this, this finally has something to it, even if you're not seeing the numbers. You know, I would really say this industry now is so small. It's much smaller than it's ever been. Um, Everyone's doing multiple roles and reputation is everything. And if you're a promoter and there's 500 kids in the door and they sit there and they go, oh, you know what? There's 300. I'm going to pay you for 300. Word will spread immediately and that promoter's out of business. So um, it's sort of already shaken down enough where a lot of those people just no longer work. But for people entering the business, and again, I can't necessarily understand why this misconception exists, but so many people come in and feel like, you know, they got to kind of hype and exaggerate things and you will get found out. And when you do, um, everyone's going to know about it. So if you can live with that, that's cool. But I'd like to think, you know, one reason why I'm still in this 10 years later is people know if I'm, if I'm telling them the story it's accurate and I'm going to be honest with them. And sometimes you got to be man enough to say, you know what, I'm working on this project. This thing isn't necessarily working great right now, but we have X, Y, and Z all about to happen. And I believe in the future of the project and will you come on board and, and, you know, partner up with us on that. I think people respect it when you always shoot it to them straight, you know? Yeah. That, uh, actually makes me think of a few different things to ask but even even though you kind of gave us the run through on you know how it all got started i'm wondering even further back like what at what point were you thinking in your head like were you ever a musician did you ever play an instrument or was it always about getting involved with artists on the management side for you um no for me in particular i i actually didn't even go to my first concert till i was 17 uh, okay, my first concert, <laughs> my first concert was April first, nineteen ninety seven, uh, which was Radiohead at uh, the. That's University a pretty strong Theater. first concert. It was, and I think that kind of changed my whole life on things. And it wasn't until college that I would start to go to shows, and you know, I think um, a big part of it was like I lived in San Diego. There'd be three or four clubs like on any given night for eight or ten or twelve bucks could just go see a show and so I sort of got involved in the scene um, just because you know there were smart creative people working in music and it was very low overhead to go out and I'd rather go see 
you know, the Ataris for 10 bucks at some show than to like go out to a bar and drop 25 bucks on alcohol or something like that yeah. and just barely meet anyone. So I kind of just started to go as a passion and got really excited about the people I was meeting. And then um, in school, I was studying business and just really not feeling fulfilled. And I got up in the middle of a class and walked out and kind of reevaluated my life and came back and helped start the television station at my school. And then I went and got a bunch of grants from my television station um, and we shot a bunch of music videos. So we were, you know, just reaching out to bands no one had ever heard of um, who we just liked. And one of them was this band Taking Back Sunday and wow. met them before an album ever came out for them. Um, they I was just played about to at ask like who's, cafe. Who was a big band you did, but I mean, there it is. <laughs> well, I mean, at the time, they literally they played the cafe at my school. Yeah. And uh, we met, I think they slept on my dorm room floor, like for two or three days. And long story short, like I was doing music videos. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't doing a great job. I was much better at the behind the scenes, like putting the production together and, and finding the right people to work on the video. And on the creative end, um, the actual exercise of it, I just wasn't that great. And it was tough to kind of come to terms with that. But I did, and I actually ended up being a producer for a while, a video producer. Um, and one day, you know, I called up Taking Back Sunday's manager to ask for some advice, and she ended up hiring me, and I sort of accidentally ended up in management. Wow. So advice for young managers coming out, call Taking Back Sunday's manager, and that's <laughs> how you will start. That is the no, um, maybe not ex explicitly <laughs> that one, but I, I think there are a lot of people who want to help other people succeed and they do yeah. exist out there. Um, don't go asking for help when you're, don't go to the big time people like when you really have nothing. Like there's yeah. plenty of places you can go intern, there's plenty of places, whether it's a magazine or even a website or even a little record label or something, like get some experience under your belt so when you do get that person's attention, you can ask the right questions and it's not kind of like, hey, can you do me a favor kind of thing. Um, you know, you gotta grow into everything and, and I remember being so frustrated in college going, oh man, by the time I'm like 25, 26, I want to be doing all this stuff. And I look back at that now at like 32 and I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's such a rush to get things done, right. but you can't, you can't run before you can walk. And it takes a lot of time to really sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do these internships and I'm really going to study um, you know, the dynamics of this part of the industry. And I really want to know how this thing works. And even 10 years later, you know, there's even parts of like, you know, radio or, or, you know, whatever, that's like still sometimes really complex and tricky to learn. Um, but put the time into learning the basics, like go out on the road with your band, spend time with them, see how it really works. Um, you know, go see how publicity really works. Go see how sales really works. That's like, the strangest part of the industry that you could ever possibly learn, but it's so helpful. Um, and then as you get some of that under your belt, like there's always other people who will keep on coming in to help you. Well, I think uh, even just in what you've said so far, it's a good, it's a good little look into the, the world of management because I think more people than not assume that managers are really just babysitters. They're just going to get the drinks. They're going to make sure the hotel, the hotel room is booked and mm -hmm. things like that. And that's, those are more the, 
the responsibilities are like a tour manager, but the manager, you know, your roles are, you know, there's so many little nooks and crannies in there that you wouldn't have, you wouldn't normally think a manager would do. And you're, I'm imagining you're on little sleep and I mean, you, you manage more than one band. I mean, who, who is on the, the roster right now that you're working with? Um, so uh, we have a uh, 303, um, and then there was a band, oh, I was working with Taking Back Sunday and got to a point, uh, they had signed to Warner Brothers and I just felt like it was time to go try my own thing. So I started my own company, um, and signed 303, which, um, every single person told me that would never, ever, ever, ever work. (laughs) And I was just like, look, well, I think it's the coolest thing I've seen in a long time. I have a lot of fun with it, signed it. And then, um, I signed, uh, these two sisters, Megan Dia. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, got off to a little bit of a, a bit of a misfire in the early beginning. Um, just they were already under some contracts and stuff that really oh, okay. slowed things down. But Dia ended up going on the show, The Voice, a few years right. later. Um, yeah, I and want to get into that actually after all this. Oh, sure. Yeah. So she's um, she's on Universal Republic now, just about to start uh, her world tour. Um, we have a band, The Somerset, who... Um, is now two albums in, just signed to Fearless and has their new album coming out. Um, we have a band called Tonight Alive, kind of a pop punk band from Australia, and then um, just signed a rapper from the UK um, named Itch, who we haven't put anything out yet, but that's that's kind of on deck. So that's kind of like our core five full-time artists, and there's three of us at the company who do that, like, when it was just me, I think I only had two artists. Okay. And for for what it's worth, like I see a lot of people come in and are like, oh, I got five, ten people on my roster, and it's just me. And I don't know how effective like that can really be. Like I, I have a lot of managers who they literally have one band and it takes up 12, 15 hours a day right. just dealing with them. Like it's a team of three people right now at my company doing five bands. And I, I mean – at a bare minimum, we're working ten hours a day. So that's what I mean. I could, I could imagine one, yeah, one act taking up your whole life. So times that by five, and regardless, you do have a few people helping you. But I imagine you're you're still involved in most, if not all, decision making. So, I mean, I I don't imagine like your brain ever just settling down to sleep. And I, like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I even no, even as you're true. sleeping, your dreams are probably productive. So that's that's uh. Uh, my my hat's off to you because uh, I think I think a lot of people just assume yeah manager they have one one big act and then you know maybe a few things they're interested in or they're helping out people but you've got five acts that you're you know very involved in so I I can imagine the workload is pretty strenuous. Um, yeah, it's um, look, it's not sleeping eight hours a night. Maybe sleeping five hours a night, and then sleeping uh, an hour here and there during the day and stuff. But but you know, it, it's exciting. It's like it's it's nice to wake up at five in the morning and start working and getting you know emails in from London and Australia and um, you know all over the world, like trying to put stuff together. You know, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone um, really gets in this and stays very long unless they truly love it. Yeah, I, I could imagine that. I feel like that's with a lot of things on the artist side too. You have to be waking up early and sleeping little and putting in your time and really just like if you're sitting and relaxing too long, then there's probably something you could be doing. 
Yeah, that's certainly right. I, I would say the biggest misconception uh, now from 10 years ago is that um, you know, everything about this is glamorous. And mm -hmm. it, it, it was, I think it was very, very, very easy money um, even when I was starting in this business and, you know, music videos were half a million dollars and anytime you went on tour, you got tour support and you'd fly everywhere on someone else's dime to go do your show. And now, uh, you know, it's, I think the fastest, the fastest moving projects I've, I've even seen firsthand, um, took probably, I don't know, 12 to 18 months to even make that first dollar of profit. Um, it's, it's an incredible amount of hard work on no money for a very long time yeah I think um, I think a big thing I listen to other podcasts and other interviews talk to all kinds of artists and musicians and uh, this theory that I keep hearing come up is 10 years you know 10 years until you finally hit it you need to be putting in 10 years and I, there are a lot of bands like you know against me I know it took about 10 years to get to where they are and there are a lot of acts that you know if if you if you think they're brand new, odds are they've been in the game for you know at least a few years, if not you know for maybe ten or more. So there seems to be this common this common number of ten years of you know put put in that amount of time, and then you'll you should be where you know if as long as you're working for that ten years, you should be at you know where you want to be, kind of a thing. Do you what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I get I get um, female. Uh, you know, artists coming in all the time going like, oh, you know, I want to be an overnight success like Katy Perry. And, you know, the true irony of that is she was signed um, and dropped, I think, two or three times. She was, I mean, she was on her last legs, about to throw in the towel and finally got her big break, you know. But you don't get to that point until you're truly ready. And it was all of the failures that finally led to her success. But there really is no such thing as an overnight success. Um, everyone who appears to be, oh, my God, they came out of nowhere. Uh, there's so much work that came before it that no one's even aware of. It, it, it just it doesn't happen. Yeah, I think uh, something I want to do with this podcast is kind of dispel those rumors. A lot of people who aren't in the industry, you know, when they see Katy Perry, they're like, wow, where did she come from? You know, this here's the first song and, you know, I've never heard of her. And like you said, you know, that's there was years and, you know, loads of people that had to make that happen. So I think, uh, kind of showing that, that insider look on, you know, Hey, you know, you, just cause you heard of them today, you know, there's been so much blood, sweat and tears put into them getting even to this point. And then there's still a million other people who haven't heard of them. So it could take, you know, another year or five years until they hear them. So I think, I think being able to interview people and show the different facets inside the industry that you know maybe just a listener a fan of the band you know they're hearing this song you know wow this band wrote the song i really like them really showing them the gears for how much work it took to get that song to that listener is something that uh i hope to do with this and i think you're a good you're a good you're a good catch because you're not just the artists, you know, I wrote the song and then I handed it off and the rest of the work was taken care of me, you know, taken care of, you know, you're the one who had to make all the little gears, you know, function. So I think it's, uh, I just think it's really interesting, especially, um, a manager who has more than one act and, you know, has shown that with enough work that you can get to where you want to be, even if you're not, you're not even, I imagine that you're not even 
where you want to be at, that you've still got a lot that you want to do in your years as a manager? What, uh, what are some of your goals that you haven't hit yet? Um, I, I actually read an interesting statistic where um, they looked at the number of artists and number one songs throughout uh, the decades. And it used to be, um, you know, there'd be 31. Yeah, I think the statistic was there was 31 songs uh, that hit number one, of which 29 of them were by different artists, which meant, you know, there was um, pretty much every couple of weeks, a different artist would hit number one on the charts. And this year, there are, um, out of the whole year, there's only nine artists who now either have multiple songs who are going in and they keep hitting number one or they'll have a song that's number one for like a month at a time because radio doesn't rotate out. So it's a very, it's that much tougher now to crack through and break through to number one. I think the goal for anyone is it's like, look, sometimes you feel like you can get lucky and it happens once. Um, but how can you really prove like, hey, you know what, this is, this is true um, uh, you know, talent on some level and really saying, okay, like we can actually repeat that success because it almost, you know, in, in, unless you're one of the very, 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 very upper echelon and it literally works out to, um, I mean, it's between one-tenth and one-one-hundredth of one percent of artists who are able to maintain that. It's like, how can you actually go out and, and prove that you can go out and do it again? That's tough. Yeah. I think um, something that's interesting there, too, like you said, uh, you know, it used to be 29 artists and now it's nine. Um, thinking, thinking about today and, you know, seeing acts that are exciting, going back to seeing 303 and that being an exciting moment for you, especially in the line of all these people who said, you know, it's not going to work. I don't see it happening. What was it? I mean, what was it that snapped in your head that said, yes, this is it for them? Um, I remember I was looking, I guess in my head, like one thing about my my roster is I've seen a lot of people and they have, you know, five or seven metal bands and they'll have five or seven pop punk bands or whatever. And, and when I was first starting out, I said, look, I don't want to do that. Like I want my artists to stand on their own. And by signing a bunch of different type of artists, it will force me to learn more about that world and to meet new contacts and to like keep growing as a person. So I was looking for something very specific. And I remember just being at this festival and every band there was like so nice and so polite and so safe. And I was like, man, like, you know, rock music used to be so cool because it was like kind of dangerous. It was kind of badass. Um, it was, it was like before Guitar Hero when every parent bought their kid a guitar and was like, oh my God, you should go, you know, practice in our garage. It was like, no, if you were playing guitar, like your parents hated you and wanted you to get yeah. a real job. It That's wasn't encouraged true. at all. And I remember specifically looking and going, look, like I want that badass, like, you know, going to trash the dressing room and like go crazy on stage and just like a true artist at heart. And I literally came across um, 303's video um, I think it was like of the third show they had ever played on the internet and said, Oh my God, like this is ridiculous. Like these guys are just, you know, so true to the music and they can do whatever they want. Um, I got to go fly out and meet those guys. And, you know, I hit them up and emailed them and literally flew out and they picked me up at, um, I had to bus into their city after the plane and they like picked me up at the bus stop 
And I was just like, oh my God, these are like the smartest, nicest guys I've ever met. I think I made a huge mistake. Um, <laughs> they're like so respectful and like very, very, very intelligent. They were graduating with like 4.2s at their, at their college. Um, wow. And then, you know, on the second or third day, they had their show and they literally walked on stage and just became, you know, so of the moment. So I was like, okay, this is what I have to get involved with. So it's, it's worked really great because on stage they have their total presence and it truly is who they are. But when they walk off stage, they really do have a very analytical brain. They're very involved with all of their business. You know, they want to know why things work and how it works. And I think that's why it's been so successful. Yeah, a thing uh, that I'm seeing a lot today or that I'm noticing is, um, well, you, you made a little joke about, you know, managing five metal bands and something that uh, I've always wondered is like, does metal work more on some level? Like when we would be touring and playing shows, there was, you know, metal bands I'd never heard of and they'd have seas of fans and it just, there, there seems to be something that speaks to that kind of music that maybe other genres don't. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but in, you know, a lot of, you know, whether it be Rise Records bands or these bands that are metal or some variation of metal you know they lots of kids show up and you know those bands seem to do pretty well do you think that there's something to be said about that genre specifically or is it just you know the x factor whether is just you know music that is likable on some level um look there there's some genres that will never die metal will never die pop punk will never die Um, but it's it's definitely cyclical um and where it goes and like when i was in college drive through records was the biggest label you could want to be a part of it was like the 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 true foundation of like you know pop punk at least on the west coast and i remember going oh this came out on drive through i'm going to buy it like i owned i think every single album that came out on drive through just because like that was the brand they had built yeah. and that comes and goes and sometimes metal shrinks and sometimes it grows but that's never going away either it's you know i see a lot of industry people wanting to come in now on like electronic music electronic yeah. music and stuff it will never die it goes in waves and all these people coming in like, oh, my God, it's like so big now. How do I get involved with this? But they don't listen to it. It's not, you know, part of their lifestyle is not who they are. And that's what kind of ends the cycle, which lets something yeah. else come in. Like when it starts becoming disingenuous uh, because it gets so big and there's money in it, that's when those cycles start to, you know, fade and the next thing comes. So, you know, EDM will shrink and go back to what it was for the core fans. It will never go away. And I'm sure... Um, after its time passes, it will come back strong in force in a slightly different variation, but it's not going anywhere. Well, that's like you said, that's like, uh, how it used to be where you'd buy a guitar and you'd be blasting your amp in your room and your parents would be telling you to keep it down. And now parents are buying their guitars for their kids. It's kind of the same thing where, you know, if you see your parents listening to dubstep, you know, it's not cool anymore. Like your (laughs) parents... You know, the the major labels, when they start signing a lot of some genre, you know that, you know, it's probably on the other end of it where, you know, okay, it's probably starting not to become cool anymore if the majors are getting involved. Right, exactly. I mean, that that's, yeah, that that's true of anything. I think, um, so I share an office. I'm very fortunate. I, I work with Kevin Lyman who started the Warp Tour. Um, and he had this great analogy about skateboarding, um, where it was, if you were a skate, a skateboarder, 
you were like the underground punk kid who was always in trouble. You were the dangerous kid. Um, and then the Tony Hawk video game came out and pretty much every parent rushed to go buy their kids skateboards and it became just a normal, regular pastime for everyone. Um, and it really was, you know, the huge, I mean, I don't think people realize how big something like Guitar Hero was where it, you know, it was like the biggest video game you could even like think to purchase. And it was such a flash in the pan, but it changed, um, rock music from being super cool to everyone being like, Oh, you know, like whatever, anyone can go do this. So as soon as that happens, there's always people looking like, well, what's on the fringe of that? And, um, you know, it just, it comes and goes. Yeah. I never, I never thought of the impact that uh, guitar hero had. That's a good point. Like I remember playing it and then the one, the one song that really kind of like made my ears perk, you know, aside from hearing all the, you know, the eighties cock rock and all the classic rock songs. I remember when I finally heard there was a fall of Troy song on there. I said, Whoa, right. like, what has happened like this if there's one thing yeah they'd help kill kill rock music it was that <laughs> it, it was just a very strange moment for me because it was the first time not that i know those guys but you know like a band that seemed to be in the genre that i liked wasn't a video game that i noticed i mean regardless like you said there's the tony hawk games and those had great soundtrack tra- tracks but i mean listen you know playing tony hawk and listening to a pennywise song when you're in middle school doesn't have the same effect as you know hearing this band that is around the same age as you playing this very you know interesting kind of metal in a video game it was just like a very weird moment that i remembered like wow like things are changing Mm -hmm. that's that's right and then that got so saturated um i think the company making it went out of business yeah, I guess I haven't thought about it, but I, I haven't been looking actively for Guitar Hero games. But yeah, I didn't even think about that that kind of fad is done, that it kind of just secretly quieted down after, you know, Rock Band and all the other variations of that came out. That's it's crazy. I think that's a really good point, though, the Guitar Hero impact. Um, but yeah, on a, on a different note, we've been talking a lot of industry stuff, and uh, I kind of want to just go complete different route um so being the manager the guy that is running around constantly how uh, I, I don't know if you're currently in a relationship if you're handling that how does that work to be a guy who is constantly busy yet being able to maintain I mean I'm sure that goes for being in a band being anyone in an industry that travels and is always busy but how do you make that all work in your experience um that is a really good question. <laughs> Look, I, I think with, with any industry, whether it's music or business or finance or the creative arts or, you know, no matter what it is, if you're really, really, really passionate about it, you know, it's like I, I was doing music for years and years and years. I remember there was a string of three years where I was making um, uh, uh, between six and th- $7,000 a year. I mean, I was making no money. And moved back in with my parents. To a traveling band, to a touring band, they might think that's a lot. Yeah, what? Right, it was (laughs) a lot. And as a manager, I was making that much money a year. But I was, you know, a college graduate, and my family sitting there like, "Why did you move back in? And what are you doing?" And for me, it was just like a hobby that I loved. And if the money comes, you know, the the money's never primary. It's more of like, I guess, if you do a great job and you truly do believe in it, 
I think of anything if um, you know if you're an artist or a painter or whatever and you truly love what you do and you put that first the money and everything comes after it but whether I was doing this for a job or as a hobby I think it's something I would always pour myself into and I think anytime you get that um, it it kind of merges your social and your business worlds and all of my friends work in music and um, I think I'm very fortunate. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I'll go out to dinner and I'll meet my friend's friend's friend who is like an architect and I don't even know what to say because I yeah, haven't yeah. talked, you know, I haven't talked about anything other than music. So I think that's a pro and a con, but, um, it, it I love being around other passionate people, right? Like the, there's not easy money in music. We all are in this industry because we love what we do. And I like having those kinds of people as friends. Like if, if, um, if you're truly pouring your heart and soul into someone, into something, um, that's exciting to me. Well, I think that there's a commonality between everyone and maybe this didn't used to be the way, but everyone likes music, not necessarily everyone likes architecture or, you know, dentistry or things like that. So I feel like where you feel uncomfortable in a situation talking to architects, like, I feel like my assumption would be that you could walk into any room and people would want to talk to you because everyone likes music and there's an interest there. You, whether it's, you know, whatever genre you like, I, I would think maybe in the forties and fifties people would go, Oh, you know, music's not for me, but I don't think that that's a common saying anymore. Everyone likes music. So I feel like I could put you in the room with any kind of other people and you would be able to tell some good stories and be, you know, be interesting. So yeah, it's interesting think, to me. No, I I think that's true, and I think also you know that's a big part of like why music will never like die. Like as hard as music is, and it is so much harder than it was ten years ago, and a billion times harder than it was twenty years ago. But music never going to go away. Like music, you you put music onto any other product, and it makes it that much cooler. Mm-hmm. And that is why every commercial has music, and every film has music. And, um, you know, technology now is driven in huge part by music, whether it's Napster or the iPod or an iPhone. Um, I mean, all of those things became cool and became industries because of the music industry. And it, it, it's going to be changing and how it works um, and where the money comes from. But I think you're totally right. Like everyone loves music and it's not going away. Sometimes you got to figure out, well, where like where is it going? Because it's going somewhere else, but it's not going away. Yeah. Um, so I got a, a, another kind of interesting question for you, uh, you know, keeping well, like you include the bands that you represent, but in the spectrum of artists and musicians, no matter what genre it is, what band or artist do you think is doing it right? Like if there's a underground artist that is kind of climbing the ranks the right way or you you've seen someone on a level with you know dia or Katy perry where like you know they've got they've got it like they're putting in the work and like they're gonna go someplace is there anyone that comes to mind that you think of that's kind of going about it the right way in your opinion um that is a super tough question because i feel like the quote unquote right way is yeah, is so dependent on like a million different things. I, I will say anyone who can put out a second album and have it even equal what the first can be is an extreme rarity and clearly doing something right. So in the case of someone like Katy Perry, um, 
and I, you know, I can only use that because we use, uh, you know, we've worked with her peripherally. You know, she she did a song with 303. We had toured together. Um, so I'm only using this as personal reference. Um, I think she's so incredibly smart. Like as far as a huge pop artist icon, it just doesn't. Have, there's so many people who are so big, and then you really more than ever never hear from them again. To come out and consistently put out song after song after song and be able to know what's going to still be relevant. I mean, it's it's exceptionally rare these days. Um, there's a lot of people, I think, in the indie space who are doing it, quote unquote, the right way. But again, it depends on its goals. It's like I think the goals for a lot of people changed. A lot of goals now for bands are, you know, they just want to be able to make a living from the music scene. It's not like, you know, I don't need to be the biggest rock artist in the world because, I mean, it's probably not going to happen. Um, it's it's a slimmer chance than ever before. Um, so as long as you kind of, you know, set your goals and accomplish them, that's winning. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm going to agree with you. I think that's a good point. And, you know, maybe a lot of people who don't know about this life or, you know, see huge bands and kind of assume that that's where you'd want to be, you know, music 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, labels were dumping all their money into, you know, majors and, you know, bands could fly across, you know, do Europe tours and, you know, there's a lot more money to do a lot more and now success today seems to be on a more personal level where maybe bands that you love and think are huge, they're still living at home. Like there are a lot of acts that aren't in mansions but are selling a lot of records and touring heavily, but it's not what it used to be. It's not mansions and crazy parties and all these things. It's on a it's kind of on a more personal underground level these days. Yeah, and not to totally go off on a tangent, but, um, you know, there's something that, like a, a certain perspective I try and keep because it helps me on the business sense. And a lot of people look at, you know, the digitalization of music as kind of killing the industry. And of course, it, it has so many benefits, but a lot of people look at it as like, well, everyone steals music now, like all the, all the profits are way down, everything's gone. But I think the other thing that digitalization like brought to the industry that is often overlooked is it lowered the barrier of entry so low that, um, and again, there's so many advantages of anyone who can, who wants to create music and who can create music can get into it. But, um, you know, by, by another token, it's, it's almost so low that there is such glut now. Um, the supply and demand has been thrown off so much, um, that like it kind of threw the whole industry into a gigantic tailspin, and yeah. and literally it's like you could graduate high school and you could go work at a fast food place and make minimum wage, or you could you know invest in a five hundred dollar computer and book a cheap show and make two hundred bucks that night and make just as much money as working in retail. So like if you're a kid now graduating school and your options are well you could get in a van and travel and have a great time for a year or two um or you could go work you know some job at retail and they're both they both pay peanuts but they both pay equal and you can actually do the other one the second one's actually an option to you you know you could always go work at retail but maybe you didn't have the option to go tour or travel um of course everyone's going to go in and and want to go do the other thing. so it it's just again it's not necessarily a I wouldn't call it a disadvantage because obviously it's like so inspiring and so great. And we're getting all these new like facets of the industry arise out of that. Um, But it definitely makes it that much tougher. 
Yeah, I, uh, I think I just think that's a real interesting thing today is that the the difference between what people perceive as success and what is actually successful to each person. Whereas you know, it's a tough day when an artist has you know they go to their parents and they go. Yeah, you remember the big talk we had about me going to college? Yeah, I'm going to go tour with my friends mm-hmm. and potentially not make money for a while. And that's a that's a tough thing for a parent to hear, for any family to hear, to go, to be supportive of that and say, you know, from generations that go, you know, why not go be an accountant or do something that's proven to be successful? Here you are throwing everything in the wind and you're just going to... Uh, you know, families or parents that don't know, they just assume you're just like making a wish. You're just, here's the hope. And, and I, I wonder, my question to you is, did you have to have that kind of same conversation with your family or was it different because you went to school and got a degree? Like they were more supportive. Um, I, I think I was lucky. Like my parents were going to be supportive and they knew if I was passionate about something, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but you know, it's almost like, um, and maybe I'm even dating myself now, but it was like, you no, know, people would go to college and be like, oh, I'm taking a year off to travel or, you yeah. know, whatever, and they'd rack up a big credit card bill. And it's like, hey, you can go out and play music and at least break even on it. Like, you're not making money. You get to go to Europe and and get those bills paid for, and you get to go travel the country. I mean, the most eye-opening experience that like helped shape my whole life was the first band tour I ever did, and realizing that, um, all of the Americana I read about in books in high school and in college and about the culture of America and what our country was founded on and then going in a van and going from city to city and seeing that now every city was just a Walmart and an Arby's <laughs> and a McDonald's. I mean, I, I came back from my first tour in a major depression um, yeah. and, and it really shaped like how I live now. Like, you know, I... Um, live in a neighborhood that most of the, I mean, there's no chain stores here. Everything's locally grown. And um, like I have newfound respect for that after having gone and like seen my country. Um, So heck yeah. I mean, if you can do it, why not? I think a lot of people, you know, they, they hear about Portland or cities where there's a lot of, you know, homegrown activity and, you know, farmers markets and there's a lot of artists around there. And they just assume, oh, you know, they're just all hippie and that's how they are. But I think you made a really good point. Yeah, I mean, when you go on tour and you're so excited to see all these cities and you everything becomes a blur of Walmarts and McDonald's, you, you, you like crave something that feels like it's a, this shop exists only here. Like, I know the guy who made this. Like, mm-hmm. after seeing all that replication, it's no wonder that artists move to towns like that because they want that, you know... Uh, like a homemade meal feeling. So that's just funny to me. I think that's a good point that, you know, that's why those kind of towns are thriving with artists because after you go and experience the world, you start to just become jaded and go, everything's the same. There's, I went to Denver, I went to New York, nothing was different. Like they're all, there's the same stores. There's nothing interesting. So I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, they hear, oh, you toured, you traveled all the United States and what can you tell us? And you go, well, McDonald's in Florida is the same as Texas. Right. Like, it no, really doesn't change. There, there was no bigger shock than really coming back from from a tour and and you know not knowing where you are because you're traveling so much, but really because so much of towns start to look the same. And and I think that's even why, like, because so many people are are you know maybe traveling more and experiencing more, 
that we're sort of seeing just, um, you know, culturally a little bit of a pushback from um, full on globalization. And you do see all these communities now popping up where it's like it's about localization and like being a part of a, a, a bigger community locally and regionally and helping to invest in that community. Um, and, and I mean, that's a huge benefit in my mind. Like that, that's great. That's where you really get, you know, distinct cultures and you get new ideas coming out when those kinds of things happen. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's cool that you're, uh, where you're living is one of those kind of towns. Cause yeah, living in the suburbs and seeing nothing but strip malls and those kinds of things, it makes me think back to touring and seeing all that blur again. Um, well, I've, I've almost had you for an hour, so I'm going to try to wrap this up. I'm sure you got all kinds of stuff to do. But after talking about all the industry BS, uh, I kind of want to just jump into some other kind of random questions uh, that may be goofy and whatnot. But um, what would you, uh, what are you reading or listening to right now? Like what what band is doing it for you there that you've been listening to a lot? Or it doesn't have to have anything to do with industry. Like, oh, I really like their values. Just what albums are you listening to that are exciting you right now? Um, the one I got most recently that excited me the most was this band called Delta Ray. Um, and I didn't realize anything. I mean, I basically came across a video accident and fell in love with like their aesthetic and their sound. And, um, you know, naturally my mind thinks business. So I'll, I'll go back. It's like if the, for any band starting now, I think the single most important thing you could do, you don't need to go make a whole album. You don't need to like go do all this stuff, like make one great song or make a ton of songs, pick one great one. And then instead of investing in a publicist or even going on tour or doing anything, just make a great video. Um, and, and that's like, I think the best way to kind of get across your overall tone and your overall image and your overall aesthetic um, and they came out with just like one of those videos where it matched the song so perfectly. And I just said, oh, my gosh, I have to learn more about this band. So I've, I've really been vibing on them. I, uh, I think it's a good point, too, because I uh, a lot of people are with MTV, not, you know, don't, they don't show music videos anymore. And, you know, with YouTube, just you can put anything on there. I think the place of video in music is confusing a lot of people don't know how much importance to put on it there are acts that do tons of videos and there's some that have only done one or none because they don't think it really matters so i think hearing from you that you know to you it looks like it comes off as professional it comes off as you know this is the tone that you're coming off with and the music it all has a it has something that connects everything together to hear that coming from you i think is uh, says a lot about where music videos are today. Well, it's funny. It's not. It's not even so much about music. Like I think, I think from my experience and talking to kids and seeing what's going out there, like it's so much about filling in those little gaps and having a more complete big picture. And a song by itself is not is not enough. Like everyone wants to know, like you know, what kind of art are you looking at? What are you reading? Like, what, what is your full culture? Can I get behind that? Um, and nothing speaks to that right off the bat in a great video. Well, cool. Uh, all right. Favorite Beatle. Who do you pick? Whew. Um, you know what? It's a little before my time. I'm going to get in trouble picking one. So. <laughs> oh, no, no answer. Did not expect that. I, I feel like in that case, I can't have a favorite unless I grew up in that time. 
and was really able to experience firsthand and not looking back on it. So um, I know it's a bit of a of an odd answer, but like music is tied so much to the culture and the politicalness of the time, and like anything I said would would probably be completely irrelevant in this day and age. All right, sir. Well played. All right, talking about growing up in a certain time and having to have uh, cultural ties to that thing. What about favorite Pixar movie? What do you go with? Uh, Monsters, Inc. Ooh, okay. I think a lot of people lean more towards uh, maybe Wally or Finding Nemo. I was not uh, not expecting Monsters, Inc. I think that says a lot about you. <laughs> well, there's just a time, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, and, and again, it's like, and I truly believe this so much, but like, Pop culture is tied to the time and the place. And there's so many artists who are big because they had the impact at the right time culturally. Um, they are the voice of a people. There are movies that speak to that. There are books that speak to that. There's music that speak to it. For me in particular, that was a particular moment in my life. And I could watch it now and it has totally different meaning. Or I could you know, one yeah. day have kids and show it to them and they won't understand it maybe. Um, but it's just like when you're in that moment and you're that age and there's things going on in your head and then for whatever reason, something just has an impact on you. That's what you remember for the rest of your life. That's true. Well, very good, sir. Um, before, before I let you go, um, you were talking about how now Dia is on the voice. Um, how has that been all going? That seems when I saw that happen, the first thing I thought of was, I need to talk to Mike. This, <laughs> this has to be so exciting right now. Like, how, how did that whole season go for you? Was that just, like, stressful as ever? Or, Heck, yeah, that's stressful. I'll, I'll tell you, the last thing I think anyone ever expected any of us to be doing is a reality TV show. Um, yeah. <laughs> and as a manager, I probably get pitched 10 times a day on some new thing, and we turn down 10 out of 10. Um, yeah. It's just, it's usually not, like, the best introduction to something. And in this case, you know, the the producers kept coming back and they said, look, we can't tell you who the judges are, but we can tell you we're not going to call them judges. They're coaches. It's about um, empowering the people on stage, supporting them, giving them good advice. It's it's less of like tearing them down and making this a competition, more about attaching good people to them and helping them grow. And, you know, as a band, um, we had just parted ways with Warner Brothers after a lot of their staff kind of got blown out and the album really underperformed and we asked to leave and they said yes and we're sitting there going, well, what do we do next? And an opportunity to go out and work with people who are going to encourage the artists and really back them and support, support them uh, became very attractive and I think that's why the show in general did well because it's not someone like Simon Cowell going out and making fun of everyone and very clearly, obviously like goofy people auditioning. Um, there's real, there's real talent on that show and they do kind of get behind the contestants and, and try and pick the good ones. Um, and the competition is really about like who can help foster and grow and give the best advice, um, you know, to their contestants to go on and show big improvement and go on to win it so we ultimately decided hey let's give it a shot and then we found out you know Christina Aguilera is involved and she was involved and all these people are involved and I think it freaked everyone out and we said well we'll get as far as we can go and maybe get some press out of it and I give so much credit to Dia for saying you know in season one there were no rules the producers hadn't really defined what they were trying to do 
it kind of was a big karaoke show. And, um, you know, for anyone who didn't see the show, Dia went up um, on her, like, big show day and did a cover of Kanye West Heartless as, a, like, a big soaring piano ballad. And, you know, I, I was there at the show and everyone's jaw kind of dropped. And literally the next week um, sort of set the shape for the whole show where everyone was like, oh, my God, we can do reinterpretations of songs. Like, we can right. really go outside the box and make this interesting. And it just... It just hadn't been defined yet, like on the show, like no one really knew where it was going to go. And she just on her own kind of helped really lead, lead the charge. And, you know, that's not trying to, to hype her or anything like she, she really saw that. And I saw that from the inside kind of start to happen. So, um, you know, she ended up going on and, and, uh, in Blake's number one and he took her on tour and then she toured with the fray and she's got an album on, uh, universal and kind of starting her world tour. So it's, it, it was a great kickstart and I think it was still done in a fairly tasteful way. And she, she took it upon herself to still really look like a true musician and a talent and not someone who just wants to go up and sing karaoke songs and, um, you know, be the flavor of the moment. So it was, absolutely crazy but um again i give a lot of credit for kind of steering it and coming out you know still looking like a, a really strong artist and i think gaining some respect for that well i just want to thank you for taking out an hour of your day mike uh, it's been a while since we talked and uh, i think you aside from being my first interview are just a good example of not the slicked back, you know, sleazy manager, the more realistic, nice guy that can still get stuff done. And um, I think you've given a lot of good advice for anyone interested in this industry, any bands coming up, any bands in it. And uh, I just want to thank you for your time. And um, one uh, fr from someone, you know, in, in a world where cats are very popular, I don't know any managers that are... Uh, as obsessed with cats as you are and <laughs> it's the one thing that uh i think may even answer this next question but if you uh final question if you had to have any words or a picture or any who knows what they'll look like in the future but uh what would be on your tombstone just a picture of your cats or what <laughs> um holy moly that's probably the <laughs> toughest question on everything you asked me no i don't know i can't think about death or uh <laughs> going to slow me down so so i'm Fair not enough. sure i think i think that's just it right there i can't I, your quote would be i can't think about that that it just slow me down. <laughs> yeah. so i think that's, that's i wasn't expecting this by. so soon especially for a manager i think those are good words to live by well thank thank you so much it's been really cool to to see you about too in the music industry and uh, i absolutely wish you the best of luck Thanks, man. You too. And I hope uh, maybe in the future when I get a few more into these, I might uh, come back to you and be more organized and maybe we can get into some other topics like, uh, you know, who knows, philosophy and religion and all kinds of other things. Not in Sounds good to me. I'm all for it. Excellent, man. Well, thanks again and uh, good luck with everything, with all your artists, including Dia, and uh, hope everything goes awesome. Thank you very much. Take it easy, man. <laughs>